Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for December 9th is Romans 8 through 10. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some texts add, for those who walk according to the Spirit. And some do not add that text. And that's okay, because the meaning is the same. And even if you were to remove that text from verse 1, it says the very same thing in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. There is no need to divide over which translation of the Bible you use. If you are seeking Jesus with your spirit, if you are in Christ and you have his spirit joined to your spirit, you are abiding in him. He says, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. But know this, Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because your sins have been paid for. They have been separated from you as far as the east is from the west. You cannot be condemned for things that you've already been forgiven of. You have been set free from condemnation. Yet many of us want to condemn ourselves. We don't think of it this way, but really what we're doing is showing that we have a higher standard than God does. Or maybe it's just our lack of faith that somehow we think God's not really telling the truth when he says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Or maybe we think we are special, that he means it for everybody except for us. Perhaps the inverse is true in your mind. You feel like you've received forgiveness, but all of those nasty sinners around you, they are bound for eternal destruction. If you are struggling with condemning yourself, perhaps you have not yet apprehended your heavenly identity. Maybe it's because you don't understand fully what it means to be a child of the Most High God. Many of us, when we are saved, we feel as though we just barely got saved. We didn't really earn it. We didn't really deserve it. And we could lose it at any time. And while it's true we didn't deserve it and we could not earn it, there is a raging debate about whether or not we could lose it. Ironically, it's those who focus on their sin who are most apt to sin and, by extension, if such a thing is possible, are in danger of losing what they have so freely received. And so if you are struggling with thoughts of condemnation, if you don't really believe that this verse applies to you, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, and if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you love his word, you love his people, you are being transformed into his image more and more as time goes by, then memorize this verse and recite it to yourself morning, noon, and evening. Refresh your mind and refresh your thinking with a washing of the water of the word. Bring every thought captive to Christ, continually speaking the word over yourself, and you will change. It doesn't just end there, though. We don't stop at this neutral state, somewhere in between cursing and blessing. 
just because there is no condemnation, it doesn't mean that there's no blessing either. We keep reading in Romans chapter 8, for all of those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. Could be translated sons and daughters. If you are led by the Spirit of God, you are a child of God. In verse 14, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery again to fall back into where you were. No, you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are God's children, then we are also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs of our big brother, Jesus Christ. In verse 17, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And so we're not promised a life of ease, but we are promised a life of family, of kinship, of togetherness, of brotherhood, and of eternal blessing, being co-heirs with Jesus himself. The devil wanted to give Jesus everything he could lay his eyes on in this world, in Luke 4 and in Matthew 4, if he would bow down and worship him. But Jesus said, man does not live on the bread alone. And he also said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, shall love the Lord your God and worship him only. And that is our task, to follow in Jesus' footsteps, to do as he did, to worship God only by embracing. We are to suffer as Christ did by embracing that tension in the narrow place of feeling hemmed in, feeling confined, feeling as though there's no other way out and not really liking it at all, but knowing it was the right way taking the narrow path, doing what others are not doing so that we can have what others only want but will never achieve. We do today what others won't so that we can have tomorrow what others can't. And the suffering isn't fun. It is suffering. It is difficult. It is painful. But in verse 18, Paul writes, I consider that this present suffering pales in comparison to the blessing we have coming that glory that is going to be revealed in us and to us. The creation eagerly waits with anticipation for the sons of God to be revealed. We are those sons and daughters of God that creation itself is longing for, it's waiting for with anticipation. Why? Because creation was subjected to futility when sin entered this realm and its suffering bondage to decay. But we, the very children of God, as we are being revealed, as we press into the suffering, we level up from glory to glory, and we are to set the creation free from its curse. And it's in this vein that we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Beginning in verse 29, there is this chain of descriptors laying out the sequence of events having to do with our adoption as children. 
God foreknew us. He knew us beforehand, in advance. He predestined us. He wrote our destiny in advance. He conformed us to the image of his son. Even as we experience it, it is happening in real time outside of time. And it will be done so that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. The sense is he called us each by name. And those he called, he justified. He declared us not guilty, which is why there is no condemnation for any of us any longer. And those of us he justified, he also glorified. That means it's written in past tense, even 2,000 years ago, what has yet to be experienced by us in this space-time continuum. But it's as good as done. Embrace your justification so that you will be able to embrace your glorification, your being made like him. For those of us who are tempted to think that we could lose this spot in God's sovereign plan, read all the way down to verse 38. Paul says he is persuaded that neither death nor life nor rulers nor angels nor things present 2,000 years ago nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 9 begins discussing this theological debate between the Jews and the Gentiles, who are the chosen people of God. We see God's sovereignty over all creation highlighted once again. Rebecca's twins, Jacob and Esau, before they were born, before either of them had done anything good or bad, God says, Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. That can be translated in a few different variations. And some people want to debate, does God hate people? Does he love people? It says elsewhere in scripture, he's no respecter of persons. And I think by and large, this is speaking of the behavior, the mindset between the people of God and the people of this world. Jacob was certainly not perfect, and he had his character deficiencies, but he wanted God. He wanted the truth. And Esau seemed to be a righteous person from the outside looking in, but he forsook his birthright. He didn't care about his place, and he willingly traded it for a bowl of stew. The true people of God would not trade life with God for anything. And unless any of us are tempted to boast, verse 16 says, it does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. The Gentiles have been grafted in where they do not belong because of God's grace and because of the rejection of God from the Jewish people. We are now called children of Abraham. And we need to make sure that we truly appreciate this place because we literally do not deserve it, neither by our genealogy nor by our behavior or anything else. One thing remains absolutely sure in these theologically deeper chapters. We don't deserve God's grace. We don't deserve his goodness. We didn't earn it. It's by faith alone. And even that faith is a gift. 
God bless you, my friends. Thank you so much for being on this journey with me. It is truly a pleasure. We'll see you tomorrow. And for those of you who are interested, I am offering personalized coaching sessions tailored specifically for the arena of life where you need it most. Because every person, I am convinced, has a need, an inherent need, to be seen, to be heard, and to be understood. And this busyness of life that we have, I think all of us struggle feeling as though we're not seen and we are not heard and we are not understood. Sometimes we just need a well-trained ear to listen to us, to ask thought-provoking questions, and to help us think through some of life's challenges. This is what I will do for you, and it will be my honor. For more information, go to thebibleinorder.com slash coaching, and I look forward to hearing from you.